European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance. Volume 44, Issue 12. Focus Issue, Arrhythmias. By Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. New light shed on syncope and sudden cardiac death. This focus issue on arrhythmias contains a state-of-the-art review article entitled Post-Operative Atrial Fibrillation from Mechanics to Treatment by Mario Gaudino from the Weill Cornell Medicine in New York City, New York, USA. The causes, triggers and mechanisms of atrial fibrillation or AF are well known to be multiple. The authors point out that post-operative AF or POAF is common and despite progress in prevention and treatment, remains an important clinical problem for patients undergoing a variety of surgical procedures, and in particular, cardiac surgery. POAF significantly increases the duration of post-operative hospital stay, hospital costs, and the risk of recurrent AF in the years after surgery. Moreover, POAF has been associated with a variety of adverse cardiovascular events, including stroke, heart failure and mortality, although it's still unclear if this is due to a causal relationship or simple association. New data have recently emerged on the pathophysiology of POAF, and new preventative and therapeutic strategies have been proposed and tested in randomised trials. This review summarises the current evidence on the pathogenesis, incidence, prevention and treatment of POAF and highlights future directions for clinical research. Management of cardiac arrest is a major clinical challenge. In a meta-analysis article entitled Coronary Angiography After Cardiac Arrest Without ST Elevation Myocardial Infarction A Network Meta-Analysis Sebastian Heiner and colleagues from the University of Cologne in Germany assess the effect of early coronary angiography, or CAG, compared with selective CAG, i.e. late and no CAG, for patients after out-of-hospital cardiac arrest without ST elevation myocardial infarction, or NSTE-OHCA. A systematic literature search was performed using the Embase, Medline and Web of Science databases without restrictions on publication date. Randomized controlled trials, or RCTs, and non-randomized studies, or NRSs, comparing the effects of early CAG with selective CAG after NSTE-OHCA on survival and or neurological outcomes, were included. Meta-analyses were performed based on a random effects model. Meta-analyses showed a statistically significant increase in survival after early CAG compared with selective CAG in the overall analysis. Odds ratio, or OR, 1.40, P being less than 0.01. This effect was lost in the subgroup analysis of RCTs, OR 0.89, P equaling 0.29. Furthermore, random effects model network meta-analysis of NRSs based on a Bayesian method showed statistically significant increased survival after late compared with early CAG, OR 4.20. Heine et al. conclude 
that previously reported superiority of early CAG after NSTE OHCA is based on NRSs at high risk of selection and survivorship bias. The meta-analysis of RCTs does not support routinely performing early CAG after NSTE OHCA. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Holger Thieler, Anna Freund and Stefan Desch from the Heart Center Leipzig at University of Leipzig and Leipzig Heart Institute in Germany. Thieler and colleagues conclude that we should also address the question of future distribution of financial resources in OHCA research. The pre-hospital phase of OHCA is frequently decisive in determining outcomes. Scientific and clinical advances in this field might overall exert a much higher impact on outcome compared with in-hospital measures. This discussion might be further reinforced in that we seem to be faced with changing patient characteristics in OHCA increasingly frequently towards non-coronary causes. Cardiac conduction disease can lead to syncope, heart failure and death, while predictors are poorly known. In a clinical research article entitled Lifestyle Habits Associated with Cardiac Conduction Disease Emily Fremont Muller and colleagues from the University of California, San Francisco in California, USA utilize data from the Cardiovascular Health Study, a population-based cohort study of adults greater than or equal to 65 years with annual 12-lead electrocardiograms or ECGs obtained over 10 years to examine relationships between baseline characteristics, including lifestyle habits, and conduction disease. Of 5,050 participants, mean age 73 plus or minus 6 years, 52% women, prevalent conduction disease included 257 with first-degree atrioventricular block, 99 with left anterior fascicular block, 9 with left posterior fascicular block, 193 with right bundle branch block, or BBB, 76 with left BBB, and 102 with intraventricular block at baseline. After multivariable adjustment, older age, male sex, a larger body mass index, or BMI, hypertension, and coronary heart disease were associated with a higher prevalence of conduction disease, whereas white race and more physical activity were associated with a lower prevalence. Over a median follow-up of seven years, interquartile range one to nine years, 1,036 developed incident conduction disease. Older age, male sex, a larger BMI and diabetes were each associated with incident conduction disease. Of lifestyle habits, more physical activity was associated with a reduced risk, while smoking and alcohol did not exhibit a significant association. The authors conclude that while some difficult-to-control comorbidities were associated with conduction disease as expected, a readily modifiable lifestyle factor, physical activity, is associated with a lower risk. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Jean-Jacques Nubiap and Melissa Middledorp from the University of Adelaide in Australia. Nubiap and Middledorp highlight that although the prospect of cardiac conduction disease prevention is stirring, there is still a long way to go. First, 
Further studies are needed to better investigate the association between lifestyle behaviours, sociodemographic, environmental and clinical factors, and incident conduction disease. Such studies should be more representative of the general population and ethnically diverse, and better reflect the dynamic interactions between potential risk factors and the outcome of incident conduction disease. Then, additional studies should explore whether some interventions, including lifestyle changes, risk factor control and medications, could prevent the development of conduction disease or indeed reverse it. Syncope is a common and clinically challenging condition. In a clinical research article entitled Genetic Variants Associated with Syncope Implicate Neural and Autonomic Processes Ilda Agisdotter and colleagues from the University of Iceland in Reykjavik, Iceland note that this genome-wide association meta-analysis included approximately 56,000 syncope cases and 890,790 controls from Decogenetics Iceland, UK Biobank United Kingdom and Copenhagen Hospital Biobank Cardiovascular Study Stroke Danish Blood Donor Study Denmark with a follow-up assessment of variants in 22,412 cases and 286,003 controls from Intermountain, Utah, USA, and FinGen, Finland. The study yielded 18 independent syncope variants, 17 of which were novel. One of the variants, P.SER140THR in PTPRN2, affected syncope only when maternally inherited. Another variant associated with a vasovagal reaction during blood donation and five others with heart rate and or blood pressure regulation with variable directions of effects. None of the 18 associations could be attributed to cardiovascular or other disorders. Annotation regarding regulatory elements indicated that the syncope variants were preferentially located in neural-specific regulatory regions. Mendelian randomization analysis supported a causal effect of coronary artery disease on syncope. A polygenic score, or PGS, for syncope captured genetic correlation with cardiovascular disorders, diabetes, depression, and shortened lifespan. However, a score based solely on the 18 syncope variants performed similarly to the PGS in detecting syncope risk but did not associate with other disorders. The authors conclude that the results demonstrate that syncope has a distinct genetic architecture that implicates neural regulatory processes and a complex relationship with heart rate and blood pressure regulation. A shared genetic background with poor cardiovascular health is also present, supporting the importance of a thorough assessment of individuals presenting with syncope. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Robert Sheldon from the University of Calgary in Canada and Brenda Gayrell from the University of Würzburg in Germany. The authors conclude that strong features of the study by Hilda Agisdotter et al. include very large populations and sophisticated analyses. They have detected numerous interesting genomic loci that will raise hypotheses for some time to come and they may have provided a genetic key to vasovagal syncope. The interpretation of the data is limited by its strongly northern European population, potential difficulties with phenotypic ascertainment, several population inclusion biases, 
and multiple etiologies of syncope swept up in a single diagnostic code. Nonetheless, this is an ambitious and provocative study. In another clinical research article entitled Value of Screening for the Risk of Sudden Cardiac Death in Young Competitive Athletes, Patrizio Sarto and colleagues from the Sports Medicine Unit Regional Referral Centre in Treviso, Italy, aim to report the long-term findings of the Italian Programme of Cardiovascular Pre-Participation Screening, or PPS, in young competitive athletes. The study assessed the diagnostic yield for diseases at risk of sudden cardiac death, or SCD, the costs of serial evaluations, and the long-term outcomes of PPS in a large population of Italian children, age range 7 to 18 years. The PPS was repeated annually and included medical history, physical examination, resting electrocardiogram and stress testing. Additional tests were reserved for athletes with abnormal findings. Over an 11-year study period, 22,324 consecutive children, 62% male, mean age 12 years at first screening, underwent a total of 65,397 annual evaluations. Cardiovascular diseases at risk of SCD were identified in 69 children, or 0.3%, and included congenital heart diseases, N equaling 17, channelopathies, N equaling 14, cardiomyopathies, N equaling 15, non-ischemic left ventricular scar with ventricular arrhythmias, N equaling 18, and other, N equaling 5. At-risk cardiovascular diseases were identified over the entire age range, and more frequently in children greater than or equal to 12 years old and on repeat evaluation. The estimated cost per diagnosis was €73,312. During a follow-up of 7.5 years, one child with normal PPS findings experienced an episode of resuscitated cardiac arrest during sports activity. Event rate of 0.6 per 100,000 athletes per year. The authors conclude that the PPS program leads to the identification of cardiovascular diseases at risk of SCD over the whole study age range of children and more often on repeat evaluations. Among screened children, the incidence of sports-related cardiac arrest during long-term follow-up is low. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Cheyenne Beach and Rachel Lampert from the Yale University School of Medicine in New Haven, Connecticut, USA. The authors conclude that these data support the use of repeated cardiovascular screenings and the availability of automatic external defibrillators. They raise questions regarding the optimal age at first screen and various screening modalities. The tragic nature of sudden cardiac arrest in children and adolescents and our common goal to reduce sudden cardiac arrest risk while encouraging healthy and safe physical activity provide impetus for ongoing optimization of pre-participation screening. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.